Amen. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, I'm going to say that as many times as possible because I know the hour draws near where we will move on with Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. I do not know what your Christmas Day shenanigans look like, uh, but for the Harvey family, it involves traveling, uh, obviously some rain in said traveling, and so we would appreciate your prayers, uh, but we will be heading back uh, to visit with family this week, and so uh, pray for us. I am thankful to the grace of God to be able to spend time with family. I uh, hope you are as well. I'm also thankful by the grace of God to experience cold weather, and so I am looking forward to that. Uh, many in my family will probably pack sweaters and sweatshirts. I will pack shorts and t-shirts because I want to remember what it is like to feel frozen. And so that is my hope for this week. And then I would gladly come back and thaw out here in this beautiful Florida weather. So with that being said, it is good to be together. We are wrapping up this Advent season uh, this morning. Again, I want to remind you and encourage you to please make plans to come join us tonight at five o'clock um, as we celebrate uh, the Advent season and the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's going to be a special time together this evening at five o'clock. Uh, please make plans to come and join us. Now, as we get into this message, uh, we find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke again this morning. And as we turn there, I want to uh, just say to you that it's been amazing to, to listen to Christmas music. And there's been good Christmas music, some interesting Christmas music, but nonetheless, it's just a joy to sing some Christmas music. And I'm sure by now you have heard a particular popular Christmas song that many people know, that many people love to sing. Many churches have sung it, whether as worship or whether as uh, Christmas specials, a song that asks a question of a particular moment where the answer is already known. And it is by far one of my favorite songs to talk about. <laughs> Maybe you've heard it. It goes something like this. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new. This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Oh, Mary, did you know? Beautiful words. However, we already know the answer to this question if you read the Bible. And it's found in our passage here in Luke chapter 1. And the answer to that question is yes, she knew. The angel Gabriel told her. Why are you bothering this sweet woman who is trying to care for a child? Now, our goal this morning is not to take the next 45 minutes or so or 30 minutes or so to refute a popular Christmas song, though, honestly, that would bring me great joy and great pains to my wife. But rather, what I want to do is look at this story. My wife's not even looking up at me at the moment. I'll hear about this later. I'm now in the same boat Corey found himself in a week ago. <laughs> Maybe he will make the same offer to me that I made to him. There is a couch open, said if it's needed. Rather, what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at the story of the prophecy of the coming of Christ. I want us to see the words that are spoken from an angel by God, words that are then spoken back from a humble woman. And in this moment, what I want us to see is a love that speaks. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do this morning, we are in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1 is where we find ourselves. And we are going to begin reading in verse 26. And I hope you have your word and can read along with us. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you in now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. 
Now this is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, we read, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now what we have before us this morning is the story of the angel Gabriel telling Mary that she is going to give birth to the Son of God. Now think about this for a moment. A woman who had never been with a man a woman engaged to be married, was going to give birth to the Son of the Most High God. In other words, Jesus Christ was coming. But this was not just another baby. This would be Mary's first child who would also be God-made flesh. You see, the child that Mary was about to have would change the world. This child would change history Forever, So no pressure on this moment as Gabriel makes these plans known to Mary. Now I want you to think about that, and if you're a parent, think about it in light of you holding your child for the very first time. I can remember the moment I held each of my children for the very first time. I remember the beauty of it, the wonder, the awe, the what life would be like, the lack of sleep that would come. <laughs> But at the same time, I also realized that these sweet girls that I was holding, they were human. They were fallible. They were coming into a world filled with sin, and they too themselves would know sin and commit sin. And yet, here in this gospel account, we find Mary. Mary is about to give birth and hold Jesus the Messiah. Perfect in every way. Sinless, holy God. And ultimately, he would one day pay the price for us all. Imagine the thoughts that she was having in this moment, the pressures that she was beginning to wonder what it was that was coming. And yet in this powerful moment of prophecy and then response, we don't just see words of hope and words of joy and words of peace. No, in this moment we see words of love. 
particularly a love that speaks. And so what I want us to do is dive into our text a little further and see how in the words of Gabriel and in Mary's response, we can begin to see words that lead to a love that now speaks. And I want us to see these words through four different points this morning. The first one being found in verses 26 through 28. I want us to see that that we have a love that speaks because it's seen in words of approval. You see, when it comes to speaking words of love, we need to remember that those words are spoken with favor. Not only with favor of others, but in, with favor for others in mind. You see, this is exactly what happens to Mary in this moment. She has found favor from God. Meaning this, she has found approval from God. And ultimately, she has found the support of God. Read with me again in verses 26 through 28. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now notice how Gabriel in this moment, like he did at the birth of John, shows up again to announce the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, what's more important is who Gabriel is talking to. And I'm not talking about importance in the way the Catholic Church makes her important, but rather I want us to see the very character of who Mary is. You see, Mary was a lowly young girl. She was poor. Chances are she was an uneducated peasant living in a small town far from prestige, far from power, far from even ever having a glimpse of power nor would she ever even have her own authority. She lived in a time where women were discounted and often saw uh, or seen on the same field of power as slaves, meaning that they had very little power, very little authority, and very little influence. In fact, Kent Hughes describes Mary this way. Mary was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. And yet, we see that Mary is given the greatest honor that any woman has ever been given before. You see, God chose a woman of lowest estate in order to bring his son into the world humbly. And this was all a part of God's plan from the beginning. It's here in this moment that I want us to see the the type of favor that God has upon Mary. And not even just the favor that God has upon her, but the fact that this favor now leads to grace. And ultimately we see God's grace on the lowly. Notice again how in verse 28, it's the angel who says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. You see, God reveals His grace in this moment. He reveals his approval to a girl who could offer him nothing. In this moment, we see how God chooses the lowly to do his will so that it can never be said that we were chosen based upon our own merit or what it was that we could do for God. In fact, the word favor in this passage also means grace, which also means to be treated with undeserved kindness. Notice how Luke is pointing out that what God is doing in this moment, he is doing because of his approval and his approval alone. And not the merit of the individual, especially not the merit of Mary. 
Now think about that for a moment. Because God could have chosen any woman. God could have chosen in this moment a woman of wealth, a woman of status, a woman of prestige, a woman who could offer comfort without hesitation, a woman who could have offered protection without reservation, but he didn't. He chose a woman who offered nothing, a woman who had nothing. Thus, all that could be said in this moment is, behold, look at what God has done. Again, Mary is not the source of grace in this moment. Rather, she is the recipient of grace. I love, in fact, how the ESV renders this passage. We see that this favor is not a favor that she can share or give to others, but rather it's a favor that's only given to her by God. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want us to understand that the relationship that we now have with Jesus, the call that we have according to Jesus Christ, is a representation of God's favor upon each one of us. We are here today as believers in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, because of the favor of God that has been placed upon your life. In other words, Jesus has given a grace that you nor I could ever offer to someone else. Jesus has given an approval that you nor I could ever possess nor pass on to someone else. And we did nothing to deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. But rather, it was freely given to us as a part of God's plan. You see, if we hear anything today, then let's hear this. God looks upon you, and God looks upon me, and we together have found favor because of the glory of God. I want to say to you today that that maybe you're sitting next to one that you've been struggling with today. Maybe someone has been giving you a hard time over the past few days. You can now look at them this morning and say to them, I am favored by God. I am approved by God. I mean, think about that for a moment, because it doesn't matter what is happening now or what it is that you're going through or what it is that others may say. Several of you may find yourselves in situations where you're going to find yourself on Christmas Day dealing with difficult families. I know that's not just me, right? Chances are they're probably at their churches saying, pray for us, Johnny is coming, and he is very difficult. I hope they listen to this later. I don't know who amen that Daniel Simpson. Where, is Paul here? Address that, sir. Okay. <laughs> no, it didn't. Here's the reality for us. People can have opinions of us all day because of what we believe. People can have opinions of us because of how we worship, where we worship. People can have opinions of us because we do take the time to stop and pray. We do take the time to spend time in the Word. We do lead our children in the ways of God according to the Word of God. They can say what they want to say to us about how our decisions are driven by our faith. But the reality is this. We can always come back to the fact that God approves of us. He has given us His grace. He has given us His approval, and again, we have done nothing to earn it, we have done nothing to deserve it, but rather, he freely gives it. But here's the reality, the love of God does not stop there. 
In fact, he continues to speak through the angel of Gabriel. He continues to reveal that not only do we see words of approval, we've now been given this approval, but we see that God continues to show us how a love that truly speaks will then be found in our second point, which is where we see words of assurance. You see, when you look at verses 29 through 33, Gabriel has now started with words of approval for Mary because the Lord has found favor with her, regardless of who she is or where she's come from. But then notice Mary's response in verse 29. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, again, I don't want us to misinterpret what Mary is thinking in this moment. Mary wasn't hysterical in this moment as we would expect someone to be. But at the same time, I think it's safe to say that she might have been a bit concerned or maybe a little apprehensive about what it was that she was now hearing. And so she wanted to know what this message meant and what was now going to happen to her and ultimately happen around her. And so Gabriel responds, moving from approval with no merit to now giving Mary assurance to what it was that God was doing, not only in her life, but in the world. Look with me again at verses 32-33. It says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice how the angel opens with a word and tells her, Mary, do not be afraid, which then sets up the announcement of the greatest event in human history, which is the coming of the Son of God. Now what happens next are words from God spoken through Gabriel for Mary about the person and work of Jesus Christ, the one who was coming. And so here's the phrases that we see from God through Gabriel about Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. The angel says this, that you are to call his name Jesus, a name that means God saves or the Lord is salvation. Notice how here we have the first assurance from God that the Messiah was coming to bring salvation to sinners. So so from the announcement of the, the birth of Christ, we now see the proclamation of salvation that is coming for the people of God. But the angel doesn't stop there. He says, not only will you call his name Jesus, but know this, Mary, he will be great. Now, if I were you, I'd probably underline that phrase, circle the word great, because the reality about the greatness of Jesus is this. His greatness will never be limited. His greatness is without qualification. In other words, when it comes to the greatness of Jesus, his wisdom is great. His works are great. His love is great. His power is great. His mercy is great. You could argue at this point that God's greatness is so great that he alone should be called great. And every time we use the word great, it pales in comparison to who Jesus is. Why? Because the reality is this. Our greatness and the things that we call great are limited. The things that we believe are great, they will come and they will go. But Christ was, is, and always will be great. His greatness will never change. 
And so notice how in this simple phrase, Gabriel begins to testify to the deity of Jesus Christ because no one would ever be as great as him. Now just think about that for a moment. Think about how the fact that Jesus Christ comes into this world humbled. Humbled by where he was born. Humbled by who he was born to. And yet it is God who before his birth exalts him above all else. Yet for us, we are quite the opposite. We want to be great. We think that we are great. And then the ugliness and the sickness of our sin shows, and it is God who has to humble us and lead us down a path of forgiveness and repentance that ultimately brings us to restoration. And yet, when speaking of Jesus, through the angel Gabriel, God calls Jesus great. Because God knows where this story will end. You see, He knows the sacrifice that is coming on the cross. He knows about the moment that is coming. That's a, that's a far cry from this moment. But the reality is, in terms of the timeline of God, it is incredibly close. He knows that Jesus, God made flesh, would become the servant of all so that we might be saved. God knows this moment, and thus why he calls him great. And Mary does not see it. And so I want to ask us today as we gather for worship, and as we sing praise to our God, do we see the greatness of God? Do we see the greatness of God, not only in the miracle of the virgin birth, but do we see the greatness of God at the crucifixion and the death and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do we see the greatness of God because of the hope that we now have in him, knowing that as believers in Christ, we may experience death, but death is not the end of our story. Because Jesus Christ has defeated death. We serve a great God. We worship a great God. But Gabriel's not done there. He doesn't just say he's great, end of discussion. No, he goes on even further and he says that that he will be that he is the son. Not he will be, but he is the son of the most high God. Now, this was a favorite expression that was actually used by King David when he was praising the Lord. And so David, or excuse me, Luke picks up on that theme because of the audience who's now reading the story. You see, he wanted them to know about the divine sonship of Jesus Christ, how Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God the eternal throne. Thus, it is Jesus who is given the throne of his father David because he alone is the rightful heir. In other words, Luke is now pointing us back to the prophecies fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And then this is what he says about him. He says, and he will reign and his kingdom, there will be no end. In other words, Jesus Christ's reign will never end. Jesus alone is supreme. Jesus alone is sovereign over all things. And so notice how Gabriel now gives Mary the assurance of knowing that this child, Jesus, he is the great Savior. He is the Son of God. He will be the most powerful ruler in the history of the world because His rule and reign will know no end. 
He is sovereign over all things. Thus, he has authority over all things. Thus, God speaks more love by giving Mary not only a word of approval, but now a word of assurance of the one whom she is carrying. We move on from there and we see our third point in the words of Gabriel and they're found in verses 34 through 37 where we see not only words of approval and then words of assurance, but now we see words of action. Now I want you to understand that Mary believed in what had been spoken to this point, but she still had one more question. Look with me at verse 34. It says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Now Mary was not asking this question because of doubt. I mean, she really wanted to know how this would happen. I mean, this has never happened before. How do you explain this? And so I believe in this moment, when you read its original rendering, Mary really wanted to know. Now think about this in context. Mary was engaged to Joseph. In her day, being betrothed happened in a ceremony that usually lasted for one year before marriage. Now, they didn't live together. There were no relations enjoyed between them. And, and Mary was a, a woman of faith. Thus, she had really been saving herself for the moment of her marriage. So again, Mary's not asking this question in unbelief, but rather she just simply wanted to know to which the angel Gabriel then responds of what would happen. Look with me at verse 35. It says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, was also conceived, or has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. I've got to tell you, I love Luke's response here. I mean, you could truly see Luke, the physician, at work. I mean, he literally just gives the facts. And then he puts them in context of what was happening around Mary. First of all, he addresses Elizabeth. This old woman. He literally says of her, this woman of old age. He's acknowledging she shouldn't be pregnant at this point. But here she was. Elizabeth. Pregnant. At the end of her second trimester. And she was about to give birth. And then he comes back to, to Mary and how Mary herself would, would conceive when the Holy Spirit would come upon her. In other words, this baby will come by the power of the Holy Spirit and there will, will be no other explanation. Now, the reality at this point is some people have read this passage and have argued that if Mary was married and, and had been with Joseph, then this really wouldn't change Jesus Christ at all. And so some people have tried to make the argument that maybe Jesus was the second born, the third born, the first, fourth born, that, that Mary had already been betrothed, had already been in relationship. But here's the reality. Without the virgin birth, without the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit, then the miracle of the virgin birth as foretold would be lost. Thus, the plan of God, the deity of Christ, the prophecies to be fulfilled, all of them would be tarnished because the prophecy that spoke of this moment would be unfulfilled. In fact, I want to tell you, as a church, historically, we have staked our faith on this claim. This is something we've been confessing for hundreds of years. If you read the Apostles' Creed, it says, and he was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. 
You read the Nicene Creed in the early church, and they said God the Son was incarnated by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. You see, these words of action set into motion prophecies that that were fulfilled and ultimately would be fulfilled, pointing us to the deity of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would ultimately pay the price for sin through through death that we deserved, thus now offering salvation for all of those who would believe. Any other action taken at this moment would not lead to the assurance that we now share. And this was the wonderful work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love what Donald MacLeod says about this point. He's a Scottish theologian. So imagine this in a Scottish accent. It's really good. (laughs) He says her pregnancy is an act of divine grace. Explicable not in terms of human insemination, but in terms of the creative power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we are seeing yet another moment where there is no other explanation for this moment than to acknowledge the power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet it was still all a part of God's plan from the beginning. And as if that wasn't enough, you get to verse 37 and Gabriel affirms this action by saying, for nothing will be impossible with God. I mean, think about that for a moment and what it is that we've just read in verses 35 and 36. God took a barren woman named Elizabeth and made her pregnant. He then took a virgin woman and by his own power, she conceived and bore a son whose name would be Jesus. Here's the truth I want us to see through these two accounts of the pregnant women and the phrase, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing in our life is impossible because we worship the God of possibilities. Think about that, especially in this season. Is there anything that seems impossible to you in this moment? Maybe there's some sin in your life that you can't escape. Something that happened years ago that you've not forgiven yourself for. Or something you keep coming back to or going back to that you can't let go of. Maybe your family in this season is dealing with loss. Maybe you're dealing with some sort of brokenness. Or you find yourself in a place where you wonder whether any of the relationships within your families will ever be restored. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with a hardship hoping for good news with a new year coming. And then suddenly before we get into the new year, we are just upon Christmas and you've already been dealt news that leads you to say, not again, Lord. I don't want to deal with this in 2024. You see, if that's where you find yourself in this moment, I want you to remember that it may seem impossible for you to endure, but remember what God said through the angel Gabriel. Nothing will be impossible with God. You and I serve the God of the virgin birth. Meaning this. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. There is no relationship that he cannot reconcile. There is no 
problem that he cannot solve. There is no need that he cannot meet. There is no grief that he cannot comfort. There is no ministry that he cannot bless. There is no life that he cannot restore. And there is no sinner that he cannot save. The God of the virgin birth is the same God who makes all things possible. That's why we can say today, when God speaks through his word, God doesn't just speak flippantly. He speaks with action. Which then leads us to our fourth and final point. And it's found in Mary's response in verse 38. We see that a love that speaks, not only speaks words of approval and assurance and action, but now we see words of acceptance. Now, I want us to pay attention to this and, and not confuse or conflate the word acceptance in this moment. This is not as if in a moment Mary could accept or deny what was about to happen, but rather she accepts what it is that the Lord has now called her to. You see, Mary believed in what the angel told her. She believed it with her life, and thus we are now left with her great confession of faith. Read with me, verse 38. It says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, oftentimes I find myself in my own prayer like wondering in this moment, not that I'm married, nor did I not know, but I do wonder when I pray to God and present requests before God, do I have the same faith that Mary shows in this moment? Can I end my prayer by saying, nevertheless, Lord, I am your servant So let it be to me according to your will and your word. I mean, Mary in this moment really reveals her faith. She has accepted what it is that the Lord has now called her to. I mean, this is really a mirror image of what we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Mary had that assurance. Thus, the reason why she was able to respond to the angel the way she did. I mean, Mary in this moment confesses her faith. She accepts the call of God that has now been placed upon her life. Notice in this moment, Mary didn't raise any objections here. She didn't all of a sudden go, "Mm -hmm. I'll take what's behind door number two. She didn't look for the easier call. She didn't ask God to to explain what would come next or even ask about what it was that she was then going to get in return. This wasn't a transaction for her. All she needed to know was what God would do, and that was enough. And now she was ready to fulfill God's call on her life. I mean, think about that for a moment. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to elevate Mary here. I'm talking about her faith in God, okay, which supersedes Mary. How rare it is to find someone who would be so willing to trust God with the impossible and then follow Him faithfully. I mean, think about that for a moment. What if God called you to the impossible? How would you respond? Could we do that? Could we follow faithfully the way Mary did, or would we hesitate? Maybe you've thought about this before, and you wonder to yourself, what would I do? How would I respond? Well, maybe you would be like Moses, who in Exodus chapter 4 asked God to send someone else. 
Maybe you would be like Gideon, who in Judges chapter 6 said that he couldn't deliver the people of Israel because he was the weakest man from the weakest tribe. Or maybe you would be like Jeremiah, who in Jeremiah chapter 1 said to God that he was too young for the job. No, you see, Mary understood that once we know what God wants us to do, any delay is a sign of unbelief. In fact, Mary even said it. She said, I am the servant of the Lord. She literally offers herself as a bondservant. She offered herself to God as a humble, trusting servant in submissive obedience to his command. And she was committed to doing what she was told to do. No questions, no hesitations, no reservations. Sola fide, faith alone. You see, today people often look to Mary's story and they say, man, what a great honor. This is the greatest honor that's ever been given to a woman. We should praise Mary. We should elevate Mary. But I want you to stop and think about the rest of her story. In her obedience to God, her faithful obedience to God in her day, could have cost her the man that she loved and was engaged to. He had every reason and right to leave her. How would this even begin to be explained to Joseph? Her faithfulness to God could have cost her the reputation of being a woman of faith and now people saying that she is clearly a woman who cheated on her man and practiced infidelity. What would the community say about her? Chances are there would have been some in the midst of their own gospel who may go as far as to say that she deserved to die because of her sin, because of the law. All of this because of her faithful obedience. And we haven't even touched on the fact of the physical pains that come from pregnancy while then being, by then being called to travel uncomfortably for a simple census in order to give birth in what amounted to a barn with little to no warmth and animals all around, only to then be bothered by a song asking her if she knew. Or a kid who showed up after calming her child down and saying, the greatest thing I can give you is to beat this drum. Stop. I couldn't resist. I've been waiting. You'll never listen to those songs again. The same, I hope. Or that, don't sit by me when they come on. There's running commentary. Some of these people know this in this room. You'll see my wife get up and walk away. Coming back to this text. Pay attention to what's happening. Mary accepted in faith a lifetime calling to suffer all for the glory of God. And so I want to ask you today, on this Christmas Eve, what about you? If God, who can do the impossible, called you to suffer for His glory, could you do it? Maybe the better question is, would you do it? And yet, in this beautiful account, we see Mary. Mary walking by faith 
according to the will and glory of God. But here's the beauty of it. Mary was but a small example of what we will see in faith. Because you see, this child that she carried would be born. This child would then grow. This child in his adult years would perform miracles, heal the sick, raise the dead, calm storms. He would teach, he would serve, and in faith he would pay the ultimate sacrifice as the suffering servant for the glory of God and for the sake of our salvation. And so I ask again, how far are we willing to go for a love that speaks? In this Christmas season, would you accept the call and give and sacrifice more than has ever been asked of you? Again, I want to remind us this morning that Mary was not meant to be worshipped. She is simply a young woman who faithfully lived out her call. And like Mary, like Gabriel, the angel, they faithfully proclaimed what it was that the Lord had told them. And it's in this moment, this beautiful prophetic moment, this moment of love that we see words of acceptance, words of action, words of assurance, and words of approval. And now as God's chosen people, by his grace, we have been called to faithfully serve the God who makes all things possible. That is the God that we worship. So as we prepare to celebrate this Christmas Eve and this Christmas season, are you ready? to see what it is the Lord will do. Better yet, are you ready to live out your faith? My hope and my prayer is that as we gather this Christmas Eve and tomorrow with families and friends on Christmas Day, that when we cry out to the Lord and praise Him at the end of our prayers, we can simply say, have it your way, Lord. I am ready to do your will. Yeah. I want to leave you with a quote from a man named Joseph Hall. He said this, All disputation with God after his will is known arise from infidelity. There is not a more noble proof than without all questionings to go blindfold whither he will lead us. Are you ready to walk by faith? Are you ready to accept what it is that God has given us? What it is that God has called us to? Are we ready to live by faith, to love by faith. Let's hear the words of God. Let's accept them faithfully. Let's walk accordingly with the love that has been given to us by Christ, a love that speaks. To God be the glory for his words. To God be the glory for the love that he has shown. Let's pray together.